we have all received grace upon grace. For the law has given through, sorry, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we're just coming to continue to worship you, to honor you and to magnify your name as we open your word together and see how you have revealed yourself to us. God, I want to preach so that you are firstly glorified. I want to speak of you. I want to praise you and praise your name. And God, there's no way I can do this on my own. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Lord, use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. So John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. As you notice, we've taken quite a few weeks to just get through these first 18 verses, and I hope that's okay. Uh, There's a lot there. As we just take time to reflect upon who God is, I've enjoyed just walking through it slowly and just taking this time with you. But in verses 14 to 15, we see that Jesus came to dwell with his people. These are amazing verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. See, to really understand and to comprehend this verse, we really need to go back to verses 1, where we see in verses 1 all the way to verse 3, but specifically in verse 2, it says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is God, very God. He created all things. And that same person, the second part of the Trinity, he adds to himself humanity. He steps down from his throne and dwells amongst his people. You tell me of any other religion that has a God like that. And he dwells among his people. See, John did a great job of articulating the divinity and the eternality of the word, but also shows us he is distinguishable from the Father. These are the establishments of what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is only one God with three distinct persons, and we see that here. Now he's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. Think about this. The Word became flesh, a living body. He wasn't a spirit, he was a body. Which means when he died on the cross, he actually died. He died, died. Right? Not of that like fake little die stuff. He died, died. God became man. He added to himself humanity. Jesus didn't stop being the word when he became flesh. He dwells amongst his people. Like God dwelt with his people in the Old Testament with the tabernacle. Jesus is fulfilling what the temple in the Old Testament was pointing to. God is coming to dwell among his people. Why is this so important? 
Why is it important that Jesus would be human and God? 100% both. We call this a hypostatic union. Why does it matter? Why is it it's so important for you and for me that Jesus Christ adds to himself humanity, that he becomes flesh? He became flesh and dwelt amongst his people. And I'm going to give you three reasons just from these first two verses. Jesus had to be human because only humans are born under the law. And only a human being could redeem other human beings born under the law. We see that in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5, which says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might might receive adoption as sons. We talked about this already, right? Adoption. Only a man could be born, only a human could be born under the law. No animal or angelic being is under the law. Only humans are born under the law. Why? Because we are sinful. And only a human being could redeem other human beings born under that same law. Born under the law of God, all humans are guilty of transgressing that law. See, only a perfect being, Jesus Christ, could perfectly keep the law and perfectly fulfill the law. And by that, he is redeeming us from our guilt. Jesus accomplished our redemption on the cross. He's exchanging our sin for his perfect righteousness. We call this the great exchange. It is an amazing thing that happens. The second thing is this, Jesus had to be fully human because God established the necessity of the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. We see this in the Old Testament in Leviticus. We also see it in the New Testament in Hebrews. See, Hebrews 10 verse 4 says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, sacrificed his human life. And shed his human blood to cover the sins of all who would believe in him. If, we were, if he were not human, this would not be possible. The third reason why this is so important is that Jesus had to be human because his humanity enables him to relate to us in a way that nothing else could. I want you to think about this. And this is important for me, at least it is for me, and I hope it is for you. In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then I come to Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. We have a sympathizer. One who understands only a human could sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations. I once had a, I remember hearing this story when I was in youth group growing up in the church. And uh, my pastor, my youth pastor at the time was talking. He was kind of heartbroken about a friend of his. And his friend had walked away from the faith. He had denied Jesus Christ because of that very passage. In, verse four, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Because the logic was, well, let's say Jesus never actually succumbed to temptation, so he doesn't exactly know how I feel. So he walks away. But here's the problem with that logic. What happens 
if you keep pushing against something, right? If someone comes up to me and they just start pushing on me and, and they just, and I, I haven't moved yet, what do they do? They start pushing even harder, right? And then I fall. I give up eventually. I, f- I fall over or I, f- I trip over something or, or something, right? I give in. Jesus never did. Which means he had the full brunt of all temptation and never caved. See, we have a sympathizer who understands the full brunt of all of our temptations. And he never caved. He was perfect. He He lived a perfect life. We have a sympathizer. We can cry out to him to sum all of this up. Jesus added to himself humanity. He is able to sympathize with our human frailties. His human blood was shed for our sins, and he was fully God and fully man. These are the biblical truths that cannot be denied. If you deny these, you deny Orthodox Christianity. Into the condition of human weakness, the word comes to dwell. It's mind-blowing. You know, the Westminster Confession says it this way. The Son of God being very and eternal God, did when the fullness of time was come take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof yet without sin. As John continues on, it says this, and we have seen his glory. And we, those who have received Jesus Christ, have seen his glory as the only son from the Father. You know, there's some people that have this, there's some religions, cults, that have this idea that you literally are a son of God, like you are a God, small g. Right? When this verse comes along and he says there's only one son of God. We are adopted as sons and daughters but we're not God. As he continues on, full of grace and truth, want to know a major difference between the religion, the religion that the Bible tells us about and all of the other religious systems that might be out there? The past or even the present? Look at the grace God pours out on his people. There's an emphasis on divine grace throughout the Bible. Listen to the songs that we sing. His mercy is more. My my sins are so deep. I'm so wretched. Yet his mercy, his grace is more. I don't have to keep working for it. His grace is a gift. He who comes after me as the uh, gospel of John continues on. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me as John the Baptist's public ministry actually starts before Jesus. So he's saying this very important thing here about who Jesus is. The word being eternal existed before even John the Baptist. And as we look at these two verses, God has graciously made himself known to us in his son. He has come to dwell amongst his people. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Let us read the Gospels, the whole Bible, in order to better know the incarnate word and learn of God. The more you come to know Jesus and how he has shown himself in his word, the more you will be blown away by the grace that God has poured out on you. Do you feel like your faith is dead? Read more about who he is and what he has done for you. Bask in the wonder that Jesus came to dwell amongst his people. But not only that, in 16 and 17, we see that Jesus came to give us grace. Why does Jesus step down to dwell amongst us in all of this mess? Is the question I was thinking. The answer is in the Bible. But it's a rhetorical question. Why in the world would he come and dwell amongst us with this mess? If there's anything that this world has seen, like I was thinking about, like every time I open the news, there's something worse. Or at least it feels like that. Why would he come and dwell amongst us? We need his grace. Verse 16, for from his fullness, totally, fullness means totally, we have all received, all those whom he comes to save, grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Let's first think about what grace is. It's a gift, right? Getting something that you don't deserve. I don't deserve what God has done for me through Jesus Christ. He has poured out for me something. Grace upon grace. This is important for me to hold on to. When I think about the phrase, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, I'm quickly reminded of when I was younger, I used to go to my opa's house, the old class and homestead, which is not that far from here actually, and we would go there every once in a while, and we, they're Mennonites, so um, food, obviously, but we would sit there and we would have dinner. We would have all this uh, food and fellowship together as a family. And I would finish my plate because that's what my mother taught me. You always finish your plate, right? Then my great aunts would come around and give me more. <laughs> right? I'm just sitting there going, Dorothy, I'm, I'm done. I'm full. Like, stop. Well, your plate was empty, so here's some more. Right? They just, called, they just kept heaping it on and on and on. You'd finish one plate and they would put another one. It was overwhelming sometimes. God's grace has been piled on and on towards all those who re- will receive him. Jesus is full of grace. And John says that that fullness, we, John's readers... And those who are resting on him have received grace and more grace. It has been piled and piled and piled on. To know Jesus truly is to know grace. Christians receive grace and then more grace. And grace served on top of grace. You understand this now? Grace upon grace is never ending, which is great because I'm a sinner and I desperately need it. Grace upon grace. 
Christians, you receive grace and then more grace, and that grace is served on top of grace and grace and then more grace. In place of that, even more grace. The point is that Christ is full of grace, and those who know him get showered with grace. It's like when you're having a shower, and it's like one of those days where you just kind of want to be in that shower forever. It feels good, right? You're just like, oh, yes, this is nice. God's grace being showered upon you through his son, Jesus Christ. And what makes it uh, grace upon grace, what makes it piled upon piled? Well, we come on in verse 17, it says this, For the law was given through Moses. There's a contrast being created here with Moses and the law and Jesus and grace. Hold on to this, though. The law and God's dealing with Israel did not involve, sorry, did involve grace and truth. But the emphasis was more on obedience and punishments. In the New Testament, law is often contrasted with grace. The law emphasized God's divine standards and the inability of us. To meet them. Have you ever looked through the Ten Commandments? I I don't even get through the first one. Before I'm like, well, I'm toast. The law emphasized God's divine standards and my own and your own ability to even fulfill them. Which means that I cannot work my way into heaven. I cannot be good enough. I need a gift. And that is grace. While grace rescues fallen humanity from deserved punishment, the law pinpoints the problem and grace fixes the problem. You need both. Romans 5, 20 and 21 say, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increases, what grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law was given not as a burden, but as a revelation of God's will for his people. No other nation was shown this favor. That would be grace. This is grace that was given during the old covenant that is now being added to through Jesus God shows his will for his people through the law, but now he comes to dwell amongst his people and piles on grace upon grace. This is the gospel. We have sinned against a holy God. That's what the law shows us. I have sinned against a holy God. You have sinned against a holy God. And because of that sin, my only right on this planet is hell. That is my right. We sit around, we argue about what our rights are all day long, and God comes along and says, everything's a blessing. Your only right is hell. God is holy. I have sinned against him. I have transgressed his his law. I have not kept it fully and completely. I have failed in that. 
And because of that failing, because of my choice to, 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 to choose other things over God, I am damned to hell for eternity. But here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. This is why Jesus comes to die for us. This is why he becomes flesh. Because of what Christ has done for us. Because he's paid the price for my sin that I could not possibly pay. For those who repent and believe, those who rest in the good news of Jesus Christ will have eternal life. Christ died for our sins and he rose again. When we repent and believe, when we have that repentance, which is that that heartfelt sorrow for sin, where we are hating sin, and renouncing it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it, we, we will then walk in obedience. And when we believe in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins, we will have eternal life. It's only when we turn from sin, when we repent and turn to Christ, when we believe that we are saved. If you have not received Jesus Christ, You don't have the grace upon grace. You are outside of this grace. So the first question is, is have you received Jesus? Are you resting in him? Are you following Jesus and obeying his teaching? If no, then I urge you this very morning to be reconciled to God. If this is you, rest in this, though. Dwell upon the grace upon grace that God has poured out through his son, Jesus Christ. I love this song that says, does the father truly love us? The answer is, he does. Does the spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. By Jesus stepping down and dwelling amongst his people, he has shown us grace upon grace. He shows us that. He shows us who God is, the very character of who God is. As we see in verse 18, Jesus came to show us who God is. As verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who, has at, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. No one, not a single person, has ever seen God. In the Bible, we see godly men and women who longed for an intimate knowledge of who God is, but God could not be seen. We see in the Old Testament that Elijah heard only a still, small voice. We saw Abraham who dealt with angels and saw God as a, as a smoking fire pot. We see Moses who, who had the most intimate dealings with God, standing before him in the, in the, with the burning bush and having the divine light shine on his face. Yet his greatest longing, Moses' greatest longing, was to see God himself. As he says in Exodus, please show me your glory, Moses pleads. But God answers back, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. 
Jesus came to provide the perfect revelation of God that man could receive. John describes him as the only God who is at the Father's side. This is why Jesus is greater than John the Baptist or Moses, not to mention any of the other false prophets that are out there or anybody else who claims to be great. Jesus is himself very God of very God, one in the divine trinity who is at the Father's side, literally in the bosom of the Father, as that good KJV says. Jesus is in intimate fellowship of love with God the Father. He then is the one who can show us who God is. Another commentator named Mark says it this way, if God is to be known, it can only be as he is made known by someone who already possesses true knowledge of him. Jesus is that someone. Because of who he is, the eternal son of God, he is uniquely qualified to reveal God. This means that Jesus is the one and only Savior for all who long to know God. He is the Savior for all who are looking for a true guide to follow. Do you feel empty? Do you long to be filled? Jesus is the Savior for all who are empty and long to be filled because our souls were made to be filled with nothing less than God. Do you want acceptance? Jesus is a savior for all who seek acceptance. For by his grace, we are justified and received as God's own dear children. And Jesus is a savior for all who realize that our greatest glory is to know God. As that great song continues on, let me ask you then, Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The line of Judah can only do that, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and lamb who died to ransom the slave. So what, you may ask? And here's the main point. God has graciously made himself known to us in his son. This, to me, is an amazing thing. The eternal word became a man of flesh and blood. We see this in verse 13. Jesus comes and pitches his tent amongst his people. For God who dwelt among the Israelites in the tent of tabernacle now dwells among us in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, there is an outpouring of God's glory, his love, and his faithfulness. God has never been fully visible to human eyes, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. As God made flesh, Jesus makes the invisible God visible in his character, his words, and his actions. You, are, you who are resting in him today, are you? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of him? And let me ask, how is it showing in your life? The only son of the father makes the father known. Could we hope for any better access to God? Could we hope for any better access to the father? Who has had more time with the father? Who has seen more of his works 
character, seeing him in more situations of judgment and, and merriment and, 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 or forgiveness? Who would have a, uh, a more intimate view of who God the Father is? Who could be more accurately relate to those truths? Who could be more fully identified with the emotional depths of the Father's love? In the Son, we have a perfect revelation of the Father. Perfect. And you have to ask yourself, would you give something so precious to a people like us? Would you be as generous as God is in giving so much to those who deserve so little? Those who deserve wrath. God has given the light. The light has come into the world. The darkness will never comprehend nor overcome the light. It killed him but could not keep him dead. How are you responding to that light? Are you rejecting him or are you receiving him? Is Jesus your Savior? He will be if you trust him. John's gospel promises whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This isn't like some sort of like maybe statement. This is a definitive statement. If you have trusted Jesus though, if you have trusted Jesus, are you drawing from his grace to live for him, for his honor and for his kingdom? Listen to this charge. Is his grace flowing through you to others? From his fullness, every believer has received grace upon grace. If you call yourself a Christian, how dare you not show the same thing that God has poured out on you? How dare you? Grace upon grace. I was reminded of this while reading Holiness by J.C. Ryle with some other men this past week. Let us make our motto the words with which the Apostle Peter concludes his second epistle. In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, which if you've ever gotten a birthday card from me, this is what I quote, so it's no surprise. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. May we be full faithful disciples, growing in Jesus Christ, who make disciples of Jesus Christ. May that be who we are. How marvelous is our God. How great is he. As we reflect upon how the word became flesh, sorry, became flesh. How he has shown us grace upon grace. How he has shown us who God the Father is. Let us stand, let us stand amazed by who he is. Let us stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and wonder how he could love sinners condemned and unclean. He took our sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own, and he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. God has graciously made himself known to us in his Son. Are you receiving or are you rejecting? Let's pray.
Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would rest in you, that we would have a proper view of who you are and what you have done for us as you have revealed yourself in your word. God, I pray that we would go 